on today's episode of Bad in the Boondocks, first of all, me and Drew are back in the same room at the same time. And I'm going to tell you a tale of Marcus Wesson. Drew's going to tell you a tale of Willis Brown. You're listening to Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? It's going pretty good. I'm just, I'm super excited and glad that we are here. Yes, because together, last week together was... Together, right? Sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's grand. And last, because last I'm not that enough. sick today, I'm a tiny bit sick still, but not real sick. Oh, you sound like, never mind. I sound like a country heat motherfucker. No, I was just talking about milking it. You sound like somebody. Oh, trying close. to milk it. Well, nobody takes care of me, so <laughs> nothing to milk. I mean, I could milk my wife's titties, I guess. Oh, my God, dude. But it, anyway, speaking of country heat motherfucker, well, we're not just really the other like day. That. We were just talking about, first of all, let me tell you this, and this has really pissed me off (laughs) and made me upset. CrimeCon, they rejected us. Yeah. So we won't be there this year. It's as expected, I guess. Because we're pure shit. I guess we're pure shit. I guess so. I guess so. But if we're not absolute pure shit, please rate us on Apple. Maybe next year we can get into CrimeCon. That would be great. Either rate us on Apple, Podchaser, or Stitcher. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. or Spotify. Wait, yeah, Spotify's a good one. Yeah. Okay, and I might have that link in our notes. But speaking of hick motherfucker, the other day we was going down the road, and I was like, you know, Drew, because <laughs> we go to the gym every day together, and we were riding back, and I'm like, you know, city folk. Folk. <laughs> well, that's what I said. City folk. City folk. And by city folk, I mean if you've got a thousand people, you got a big ass city. City folk just don't mm-hmm. But if they go and go shopping and they go back to their truck or car and they try to crank it and it don't crank, city folk they call. They be taking road that shit to the damn to the damn a most expensive. No, they don't car take place. it nowhere. City folk call roadside assistance or their husband get or that, wife and that, be like, "My car tow. won't start." Oh no! But you know, true. Truth, truth, fucking country boys. What we do is let me tell you something. We crack the hood, <laughs> we get a hammer, and we start beating and that we damn battery on bang, the battery, bang, bang. okay? <laughs> and then we say it's good, <laughs> and sure enough, and sure enough, the motherfucker <laughs> crank <laughs> okay? right up. That's man. the difference. Here's another difference. 
We used to go fishing, and we would stay tonight <laughs> at the river, okay? Well, we ain't had no damn window onto the truck to no, begin with. No, it was too hot. It broke out. No, hey. at the time, we had a window. Oh, yeah. But it was too that. hot. This yeah. is summertime. So we would sleep, you know, for a few hours and in the just, truck. Wait, just to say, this was a nice ram with the hemi, hemi in it. With a hemi. With mm-hmm. the hemi, okay? So we do have our luxuries. Yes, we do have luxuries. Just like the computer however, we're recording on is like $1,000. It being me and Drew, yeah. it's hot as hell because it's the middle of summer, which means in the at nighttime, Mosquitoes it's about 80. It's about 80. awful as well. So you got to roll down the windows, yeah. but then you got 20 million mosquitoes. Okay. Yeah, I don't really know why we did all well, that. Well, guess what? Guess what, Daddy does. Guess what, Stan does. <laughs> you well, take, I'm like, you, you know what? This time that we go fishing, my daughter's got a damn canopy canopy on her bed. That's fine. That mesh. looks like a mosquito net. My daughter don't want that canopy no more, so, so I cut that shit off. That's exactly what I did. I cut the shit off. We, go we went we, to the river, and it's nighttime. Guess what? Rolled them windows down because guess what? Stan had some duct tape, too. Gorilla tape, actually. We <laughs> used gorilla, not duct. I, I gorilla taped that canopy right to the, window. to the windows. Guess what? No more mosquitoes. No more fucking mosquitoes. And it was pretty. It was pretty. On it was cooler. It was cool. And no mosquitoes. Think of that idea. Yes. Well, you now, know, that time tell them about tell them about our curtain. Well, before that, now you had to redo before the, oh, that. Before that, before that I just wanted to say, and once, whenever we were driving the green truck after he got into a wreck, we stopped at this place. I've been in a few wrecks. Yeah, in every a, wreck totals my vehicle. In Aiken, we stopped at this place. All right, so the truck, of course, would not crank. We popped up the hood. We fimbled with it. And then, and then banged that motherfucker. We, we banged it. It wouldn't start. So here comes this guy. He come over here and asks us, oh, you need a jump start? Hell no. He was like, no, but do you have do you have something heavy in metal? Yep, something <laughs> heavier than go. a little wrench or yep, a screwdriver. And he, and he pulled out that hammer. Bam, bam, bam. And he was like, he was looking at us the strangest way, but guess Mm-mm. what? We said, we said, okay, try it now. Bam. It cranked right up. So now, don't we be go judging. To our, we go to podcast room and our curtain. Well. Curtain falls. What you do to say, it, Drew? Do you call the interior decorator? Hell do you not. put up a new damn thing to hold up the a curtain? A new curtain? Why in the hell not are you us, gonna, bitches. Why are you going to pay another not 20 to $50? Not for a new curtain. No. And duct like gorilla tape will work. Actually, I didn't use gorilla tape. That is duct tape. Oh, that's why it fell. You had to redo it today. Yeah, I did redo it. Um, Well, it fell. The thing to um hold it, the little ball thing, well, that's gone. So Quit I, talking about my little ball. <laughs> so I bent the metal hook that's supposed to hold it up, and you just wrap that tape right around there. It holds just nice. Look at that. Hell yeah. We had a leak up nice. in the podcast room one day. You uh-uh. just stitch it together. We just stitch that shit together with some stuff, and it just is clean it, as day. It heals right up. Heals right up. Well, yes, those, were just, those were just some crazy stories. So this stories. is just what we was talking about the other day, just to let y'all know. And that's how country boys do. Because country boys can survive. 
Country boy can't survive. Yes. All right. We say grace, and if you ain't in that, we don't give a damn. <laughs> All Guess right. whose turn it is um, to go first. Oh, please click that link oh, yes. on our show notes. Oh, yes. Please, and rate us. Oh, yes. At this point in time, I don't give a shit if you rate us one star. But it would be nice to give us five yeah, stars. Yeah, because I do have mental health problems, you know, like I'm depressed and stuff. So it would hurt my feelings, and you wouldn't want me to kill myself. So Jesus Christ. then rate us five stars, and I won't. So, Sound so like a deal? No one, please don't rate now, us Now, Drew does star not care no whether I do or not. Bro, shut the hell up. Anyways. You said you didn't even think of me. Oh, my God, whatever. Go on somewhere. Anyways, also go check out our Instagram Give us a follow on there where we post some stuff and, you know, stuff, basically. I mean, that's about it. If you want to see our um, little rigged up curtain, I'll post that today. Hell yeah. So you can go see that. And? And we've got clothes stacked up so we can't even see each other to block out the noise of the other night. help block out the noise to make the sound <laughs> better for y'all. Stack up. If y'all could see us, if y'all were in our room, hopefully y'all wouldn't be able to fit because it's too many of you. Yeah. But if y'all were in our room, this is some, I won't even <laughs> say ghetto shit, this is some redneck motherfucker shit. Okay. I mean, look at okay. The we have got so, okay. Up for about two foot. Our walls are stapled, are stapled <laughs> with with roses, yeah. with roses foam mattress toppers. Hey, That's what it, our walls are made of. It does block out that sound. Okay. We do have some nice, expensive, soundproof curtains in front behind each of us. Yeah. Mm. However, the rest of this room is some. Mm, it is some redneck shit. It's fine. I mean, we do have a a house is not a home without a Dotson. Huh? Yes, or a weenie dog. Yeah, that's true. Or two weenies. and a birthday bag because there's been up two there weenies for two in years. this household. <laughs> three weenies. Three weenies. Well, I'm the big weenie. You're the little weenie. I know, right? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> okay. I'm the one that made you. Okay. Well, anyways. I think that we're going to go ahead and jump on into these stories. Well, you get to go first this time because. <sighs> okay. Well, mine is on Marcus West. Okay, my throat is. I'm, see, I'm still hoarse and stuff, so I'm going to have to take. I'm going to have to take a drink, a sip. No, of course. Because my throat's so. <sighs> gulp, gulp, gulp. Oh. I heard cum's good for your throat, but I'm not trying it. <laughs> Why would anybody need to know that? That's what I was told. All right, I'm going to do Marcus Wesson, and he's known as the Vampire King of Fresno. The date, March 12th, 2004. Picture this. He looks a mess. Picture this. Officers are called to a scene on West Hammond Avenue in Fresno, California where a heated argument over custody is breaking out. Once there, officers speak to Ruby Ortiz and Sophina Solorio, along with some family members who are with them. They are worried to the point of panic, claiming their children are being held captive inside the rundown office building. They are adamant that the man inside, their uncle, 
Marcus Wesson, is going to hurt their children. So the police knock on the door to speak to Wesson and try to resolve the issue. A titanic, which means a big motherfucker, of a man with grain dreadlocks down to his waist, nappy, answers the door. How much you weigh? About 400. I weigh about 400. About 400. About, oh, about three, three, nine, 400. What did he say whenever they answered the door? Well. How you doing, Mr. Officer? He was calm and cooperative. He agreed to turn over the children, but he wants to tell them goodbye first. Mm-mm. So he asked the officers to wait right there. Wait right, wait right there. Let me go inside and tell them goodbye, car. Mm-mm. And he closed the door. Nope. Well, the neighbors later say that they heard gunshots. But, no. But, but, the police deny hearing anything. Oh, whatever. Without a warrant, without a warrant or any indication that there's a safety issue, the police don't have the authority to enter the Wesson house. So they wait. However, let me tell you, they wait for nearly an hour and a fucking half. I think so. I don't care if I hear anything. It don't take an hour and a half to say goodbye. No, I mean. Yeah, but he was taking... Okay, they came there to take the children. They came there to check out because people were frantic that he was going to hurt the children. Okay, and they They go and knock. They were there to take the children, though. They were there to check on it. No, they were there to take the children. Whatever. But they knock on the door. He answers, looking like a fucking mess with dreadlocks down to his fucking waist. Looked like he's on crack. Right. And say, I'll turn or let me tell them goodbye first. <laughs> and then shut the door. They're like, okay, let's, he can tell them goodbye an hour and a half later. They that still ain't, uh, that makes no sense. God, some police officers are stupid. I think it's whenever they're in training and have to endure the whole taser test. What? I think it does something to their brain. Oh, so it messes up the brain. I think so. Okay. At least these motherfuckers. It makes because retarded. After nearly an hour and a half, Wesson walks out the front door. But his clothes are covered in blood. As he surrenders to the arresting officers, other officers rush inside the house. I think if it was an hour and a half, I would have definitely just opened. I mean, Maybe kick the door in. I don't care if I would have gotten, if you would have gotten in any trouble. They love to make up stuff. Like some love to make up things about what happens in order for them to search a car or go into a household. But yet You were something time, about policemen searching a car. But yet this time. How much weed do wait, you wait, smoke? But yet this time. Because that's what you always talking about. Up. But yet, this time, they can't make up... I don't like this. I can't see you. <laughs> they can't make up a freaking story for them to go in and search the damn house. And the neighbors said they did that they heard a gunshot. And I believe that. But the police didn't hear nothing. Whatever. They're full of shit. Anyway. Inside, despite the sunny afternoon... They just killed them children. 
That's what they did. They killed him. The building is dark and silent. Against one wall, several coffins are stacked up. Then they enter a back room. Inside that back room, covered in blood, Mm-mm. is a pile of bodies. That, that's what, in any horror movie you will learn: never enter a back room. Some of which are children. Each had been shot through the eye. But because the bodies were in such a tangle, it took many hours before the police could even determine how many victims there were. And it was several days before they were all identified. Once they were, these were the victims that were stacked one on top of each other. Sabrina, April Wesson, age 25. April, Kina Wesson, age 17. Illabelle, Carrie Wesson, age 8. Aviv Dominique Wesson, age 7. <coughs> Sorry. Jonathan St. Charles Wesson, age 7. Sidonia Solorio Wesson, age two. Marshy St. Christopher Wesson, oh age God. two. How many family, how many children is it? Ethan St. Laurent Wesson, age four. And Jiva St. Wesson, age one. So that's a total of nine, nine. bodies. And guess what? One. Eight of them are under the age of 18. <coughs> That's bad. I don't see how a person can do it. I don't. In trying to determine the next of kin, the coroner had DNA testing done on all the victims. When the results came back, the true extent of Marcus Weston's depravity was finally revealed. Marcus Weston, it seemed, always wanted to be a spiritual leader. Hallelujah, don't we always hear this? Or a lot of times. He was born in 1946, the oldest of four children, into what could only be called a dysfunctional family. His father, Benjamin, was an abusive alcoholic who never held down a steady job and once left the family for several years to live with another man. On the other hand, his mother, Carrie, was a strict Seventh-day Adventist who led the family in daily Bible studies and would whip the children with an electrical cord. Despite all of this as a child, Marcus was remembered by relatives as kind and a good singer. His favorite game was playing preacher. Marcus dropped out of high school at age 17 and joined the military where he was a medic or ambulance driver. Sources differ on this. He left the military with an honorable discharge and settled in San Jose, California. That's where he met Rosemary, a woman 13 years older than him, who had eight freaking children from previous relationships. Now, don't you find that sexy? And I must say it's commendable. 
if you find a woman, she has a child, and you, you know, you can stand up and be a man about it. But after eight children, I don't know. I don't know. Eight children? But Marcus seemed eager to take on the big family. Since he believed they needed a shepherd to guide them, and he was just that shepherd. The the two soon had a son together, so now we have nine. At one point, one of Rosemary's older daughters, also named Rosemary, so that's not confusing at all, struggled with drug addiction, dropped off her seven children. Are you serious? So let's do eight plus seven, and how many does that equal? <laughs> Fifteen. Yeah. So that's how many children was in the household. Plus the two adults. So how many is that? Seventeen. Wow. Ain't very big. No. Ain't no mansion. But. It was Rosemary's eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, that Marcus was most fixated on. He claimed that God had told him that Elizabeth was his wife, and he held a home marriage ceremony to the child. He then took her out of school to begin personally, quote, unquote, teaching her. When Elizabeth was 12, He began sexually assaulting her. Shockingly, Rosemary's reaction to this was not to protect her daughter. Instead, she merely insisted that they wait until Elizabeth was of legal age, 15 years old, to get married. How was 15 years old legal? In some states, the age is different. 15? But at 14, Elizabeth became pregnant with Marcus's baby, and the two were wed as soon as she was of legal age to marry. Marcus would go on to father 10 more damn children with her before she reached the age of 26. Are you serious? So 10 more children before she was in less than 12 years. Okay, so this is just wonderful, right? I think I need a drink after that. No, it's not wonderful. Well, many people wonder why Rosemary didn't protect her children from Marcus. But her obedience most likely was a result of profound fear, brainwashing, or maybe both. After all... Marcus's idea of, quote, shepherding, unquote, the family was to rule over them with an iron fist. But he was an ugly mofo, I ain't gonna lie to you. He even made his family refer to him as master and lord. He was a brutal abuser, beating the women and the children with electrical cords, baseball bats, and his fist. One son, Serafino, Recounted being beaten beaten for 30 days straight for the crime of stealing a spoonful of peanut butter. Really? Really. 
Sophina recalled Marcus beating their one-month-old infant, one-month-old infant, Jonathan, until his legs bled because he wouldn't stop crying. Like that's going to make him stop? (sighs) Because he believed the world was full of sin, he isolated the family and forbade them to have contact with outsiders. All the children were homeschooled, quote-unquote. Once when Safina tried to leave, he stabbed her in the chest. He also moved them around a lot. Once they lived in a rusted-out tugboat. Let me read that again. Once they lived in a rusted-out tugboat with no electricity or running water where Marcus made the entire family stay below deck so they wouldn't be seen. Wait. And this ain't a tiny family. But they weren't on the water. Yeah. They were on the water. Yeah, but they didn't move from shore. Oh. Then, oh, wait. When he, oh, yes, they were on the water. Sorry, they were on the water. But he made them stay below deck. Okay, well, at least they have water to Well, when he would go to shore, he made the women row his raft like slaves. Then, for the better part of 12 years, they lived in an old army tent. They even lived in a school bus for a while, moving up and down the California coast before finally purchasing the old office building on Hammond Avenue. Daily life inside the Weston household followed the playbook of every authoritarian cult. Each day, three times a day, Marcus got to play preacher in real life, subjecting the family to many hours-long Bible studies that were based on his own hodgepodge of religious beliefs, including that he was God and that Jesus Christ was a damn vampire. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, he was fascinated by and felt a kinship with fellow cult leader David Koresh during the 1993 siege of the compound in Waco, Texas. Marcus was glued to the TV. He told his family, quote, This man is just like me. He is making children for the Lord, unquote. And like Koresh, Marcus had a deep hatred of law enforcement, probably because he was breaking so many damn laws. Mm-hmm. He even mandated a suicide pact. If any government official ever tried to take the children away or split up the family, the mothers were to kill their children and themselves. He, had, he made monthly family meetings to discuss the details of this plan. And it's hard to express how completely Marcus controlled every aspect of his family's lives. The women and the girls were especially subjugated. They had to dress in long skirts and head scarves. They had to walk behind him and remain silent in public. They were forbidden to talk with men. If they talked to a man, they would be beaten. 
even their own brothers and cousins they could not talk to without being beaten. Wow. Because if they talked to even their brothers and cousins, they would develop sexual feelings for other men. Their lives were filled with unending labor. They were responsible for taking care of the many, many, many children, as well as the cleaning, the cooking, even if there was no running water, water or electricity. They were also expected to wait on Marcus hand and foot. They had to wash his massive dreadlocks and even scratch his armpits. In addition, anyone old enough to work outside the home was expected to do so and hand over all their wages to Marcus. As for Marcus, of course, he refused work and instead drew welfare benefits. In such poverty, food was scarce. The children said they often had only rice to eat and would dig in dumpsters for food. Marcus, meanwhile, dined on fast food, enough that by the time he was arrested, he weighed nearly 300 pounds. Well, and, he looks like he weighs about 500. And was so wide, they needed three sets of handcuffs. But that is not even the worst of Marcus's crimes. As soon as the girls and his family, including his nieces and daughters, reached the age of about eight, Marcus began what he called loving. He would begin by fondling them in their beds at night, then move up to outright sexual assault in order to, quote-unquote, teach them to be better women. Then he would marry, quote-unquote, each of them in his own ceremony, where the girl would lay her hand upon the Bible, and Marcus would lay his hand over hers while they recited marriage vows. Then Marcus would give the girl a gold wedding band and necklace, and this started at age eight for each girl. For each niece and daughter. Marcus went on to father seven more children by his nieces and daughters. Now, he already had father ten, remember. How many people is this? Plus one with the other wife, so that's 11, plus seven, so that's a total of 18. 18 children. Yes. Plus the wife and him. In his twisted beliefs, polygamy was mandatory, and incest produces the seed of perfection of oneself. Wait, no. Wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> The original nine, right? Yes, you had an original nine. But that was the woman with other relationships. Oh, so this, this is... W it. But once he got with her, he had one child with her. Yeah. Okay. Remember with the one daughter? Mm -hmm. By the age of 26, he had had 10 children. Remember? That's 19. No, yes, but I'm not counting those original. Okay, so we can count the original. So that's 19. Okay. Plus. plus an additional. Four. No, no, no. 
no, 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 seven. An additional seven. seven. That is it's 26. 26 plus four, 30 children. Right? No, it would be 26. What happened to the other four? I don't know where you're talking about four. You said that he would go on to have four. No, I said he went on to father seven more children. Uh, that okay. was the seven. That is 26 kids. Yes. Well, yes. And remember, kids. they lived in a tugboat, mm. buses, a bus, and then finally an there, office building. How is there enough room for anything? <laughs> wow. So, I mean, what happened to the rest? That is 26, um, well, I'll say people because some of them weren't kids anymore, but that is whack um whack is one word yeah a two word thing might be up probably the bees the f bomb up are fucked up who has the biggest dick i said he's probably the biggest dick out of this well he's a fucking asshole yeah hopefully he didn't have the biggest dick considering he was fucking children for their sakes. <laughs> and, that, and that's what you bring up. Hopefully it's not. That is true though. I would hope he had a tiny one Hopefully because it, is small. it should have been cut off. Yeah. Sometimes don't you wish that you could do. Yeah. That you could just cut off somebody's. Like, like, like these people's like dick. The slave, you know the slaves didn't happen. Instead all of it was replaced by him. With all these people watching him. Hanging upside down as they saw it. Off his nuts and and dick, and then they'll and fed it to him. Yeah, or no, stick his dick in his asshole, feed his nuts to him. Hell yeah, it is. Damn, I'm good. Make him fucking swallow it, and also cut off his toes and fingers, and make sure that he doesn't die. Right, suffer, suffer. Exactly, and just keep on cutting him repeatedly and repeatedly. Wow, you're getting very deep and dark, very deep and dark right now. What you also want to do, you also want to do a little bit of shock treatment to his eyeballs. Oh my gosh. And what's left, so you're going to have to get like a, you know, like a battery or something like that. Of course, you, when you first start out with the eyeballs, when you go down and you, where there is no more nuts, you stick it right there. And you shove up, you shove the, um, what you call it, the tasers that the police use. You shove that up there and then you set it off for about... Minutes. You know, and just for the hell of it, shove an eggplant up his ass. That is the best one. I like that idea. That one's even better. Not an eggplant. No, an eggplant. You know how big an eggplant is? But get a horse. A horse dick? Oh my yeah. God. Get that to shove it up there and make him bleed. Yes. <laughs> Gets me excited. Wow, we're really getting away from the story. Because I, I just, I just, because mm, prison ain't shit. Oh no, That's what are why. the prison dicks fucking him? No, you need a horse dick. Exactly, you need a horse. Or something. There's plenty of horses around here. At least as big as this round of this cup. Oh, well, an eggplant's bigger than that. Okay, then, <laughs> let's try a large cup. That's about like that. That is giant. Yep, this one right here, this silver cup. That's big enough. That's about 
seven inches. Around, yes. Yep. You believe that. <laughs> okay, so moving on now. <laughs> moving on. <coughs> now, for most of the members of Marcus's family, this way of life was all that they had ever known. But two of his nieces, Ruby Ortiz and Sophina Solario, wanted out. Okay? But their sister, Rosa Solario, remained loyal to Marcus. Oh, my God. Marcus eventually agreed that they could go, but only if they left their children, Jonathan and Aviv, behind. Oh, I'm gone. Desperate to escape, the two agreed and got the hell out. Yep, I'm gone. Yep. But as they adjusted to the world outside of Marcus's tight control, they started to understand that what he did to them, what he was still doing to the rest of the family, was abusive. See, they didn't know anything different. Exactly. So on March 12th, 2004... Why would you ever let them go? Well, he... No one said he was the smartest Jesus in the world. Dude, if you let them go, they're going to figure out that it's abusive and call the law. Okay, well, on March 12th, 2004, they gathered several relatives for support, and they went back to the Weston home to rescue their children, who were both now seven years old. None of this would have happened if those police would have went inside. None of it. None. Nothing would have happened. The no, they'd be like, seems okay to us. The kids would have been alive. Really? Do you think so? Oh, wait. Oh, you talking about the, the policeman at the beginning? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yes, I agree. None of this would have happened. Yes, but it seems like this is too often the case whenever it comes to law enforcement and stuff it's like that. It's too often. But I do feel an hour and a half of saying goodbye is just a little too much. It should never happen. That's the thing. Like, you don't wait at a person's door for an hour and a half. For an hour and a freaking half while you're there to check on the fucking kids. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, that's when the shouting match broke out. Marcus remained calm, but refused to let Ruby or Safina come inside the house to get their children. The women of the household shouted at them, calling them Judas, whores, and bitches, and commanding them to bow down to your massa. As for Ruby and Sophina, they knew they had to get their children out of the house immediately. They were fully aware of the suicide pact that the family had made. Yet when the police arrived, they ignored the women's pleas that he was going to hurt the children. And they also ignored one of Marcus's son telling them that his father owned a gun. First off, that is the... Did you just fart? No, I didn't. What was that noise? First off, I don't know. First off... You farted. That is You farted. You did fart. First off, those are his... (laughs) grandkids are they not whose grandkids marcus's yeah okay well some a lot of almost all of them are nieces daughters and children because remember he had sex he was having babies by all the nieces and daughters exactly so some of them are grandkids well they would also be his children He would be granddad. That is is also true. He would be granddad and dad. Exactly. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, those were... Like, did did they not tell the the police that? That, like, I'm the child of Marcus, but he has my child who he fought. (laughs) I don't think they went through all of that, but still yet. I don't care that they didn't go through all that. They should have listened to what those people were telling them. Exactly. Anyway, so... The warnings weren't considered enough evidence of a threat to the children's safety for them to force entry to the house. Bullshit. (coughs) Bullshit. And when the shots rang out, the police said they didn't hear them. Bullshit. Although many of the neighbors did. So who you think is telling the truth? I don't think it's so believe. I'm pretty sure if you're standing right outside the door, you would hear a gunshot, even with a silencer. Exactly. And I don't think Marcus had a silencer. Nope. The case was considered the worst mass murder in Fresno history, and the officers who encountered the bloody pile of children's bodies were so traumatized that, of course, they had to seek counseling. Oh, wait, I forgot the first time children got killed. When Marcus Wesson appeared to stand trial a year later, he was a different man entirely. The man who once ruled over his family like a tyrant was in shackles. Once, he was a fucking large, large, intimidating man. But now, without a harem of women to cater to his every whim, he had dropped half his weight. His dreadlocks once were past his waist, now they were cut to his ears. He was charged with nine counts of first-degree murder and 14 counts of molestation and rape. As members of his family testified, many of whom were still very loyal to him. The jury came to learn of the horrors Marcus had inflicted on his family. Marcus's defense was to claim that he didn't kill anyone. He didn't kill anyone. That Sabrina had actually pulled the trigger, murdering the children and then herself. The evidence was inconclusive. There were no prints on the gun. But guess what? Sabrina's DNA was. Her body was on top of all the others. Oh, no. And the murder weapon, a twenty-two Ruger MK2, was found underneath her. However, it's not known if she lay where she fell or if she was placed there. I'll just say, I'm going to just go out on a limb here. This is a third party here. I'm going to say that mm, she was placed there. Well, that's brilliant. And the same could be said about the gun. The gunshot wound to her, in her head was inconclusive as well. I don't see a woman shooting 
all those children in the eye. Anyway, the gunshot wound in her head was inconclusive as well, while consistent with a self-inflicted wound. A shot at close range couldn't be ruled out either. And I'm saying he had a fucking hour and a half. So how many gunshots were there? Quite a many. And the police didn't hear any bullshit. <laughs> Ruby and Sophina's testimony show that Marcus had complete control over the family and that he had commanded them to commit this act. Remember, all this time... They were supposed to commit suicide. Yeah. Well, I feel like hmm, maybe not suicide, but maybe I'm going to shoot all your motherfucking asses. Yeah, that's probably Just saying. Anyway. If the police ever tried to interfere. But if he had Sabrina now, someone, remember, were very loyal. If having Sabrina kill the children, then herself would fit with this pattern of having a woman do the hard work because he's a shitty ass while he walks away. On the other hand, family annihilators usually kill their families then attempt to blame the crime on the who? Mother. In the end... It didn't matter to the jury who actually pulled the trigger. They didn't give a shit. Marcus Wesson was found guilty on all counts. And on June 27, 2005, he was sentenced to 102 years for the rape and molestation charges. Just for the rape and molestation. For the murder of his children and grandchildren, he received the I'm not going to say that for it. I'm going to say the damn death penalty, the DDP. He was sent to San Quentin Prison, which is the nation's largest death row. There, guess what? He was in company of such infamous murderers as Rodney Acala, the dating game killer, Charles Ng. We did a podcast on that, you remember. Mm-hmm. Richard Davis and Scott Peterson, who I think we all know. In March, California, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a moratorium on the death penalty, sparing Marcus Wesson's life. Because, you know, he spared, because he felt so bad and spared all these kids' lives. He wouldn't have gotten killed, no way. I know, but thankfully he will never be eligible for parole. No, but you know that he got it tough in prison because no, not on death row. Because guess what? I would think I would rather him be in regular prison. You know why? Was okay. Yes, yes. After this, but I'm saying he was on death row, and you know what? I would rather the death rows be in regular population. You know why? Because they get beat up. Because on death row, are they not in a single cell? They have their own cell to their cell, correct? Mm -hmm. And they don't have to see the other prisoners. They are in the cell for 23 hours a day, I think. Mm -hmm. So when are they getting ass fucked? When are they getting beat the hell up? 
They're not because they're protected. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Screw that shit. But Elizabeth and the surviving children are now grown, and they have come to see how brainwashed they had been and how delusional, psychotic, and narcissistic narcissistic Drew Marcus was. Mm. Well, In 2010... They broke all their media silence and spoke to reporters at ABC News. They've all tried to heal and move on with their lives as best that they can. But at least, at least, they no longer, any of them, want to have any contact with Marcus. And that is a blessing. Yep. That's my story. That's a messed up freaking story. I know that. You say messed up, I say fucked up, whatever. That is a messed up story. And I think that's a fucked up. That is a messed up story. Or fucked up. Yeah. So, so you want to take a little break from yes. that deep, dark shit? Yes, I do want to take a break. And whenever we come back... Because obviously he's never going to be tied up, upside down. Mm-mm. He's not going to have his dick cut off, shoved in his asshole, nuts fed to him. Mm -mm. He's not going to have his toes cut off, fingers cut off, Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be raped by an eggplant or horse cock. So I think that's pretty shitty because that's what he deserves. He deserves no less. An elephant dong. He He deserves that elephant to shit right on his face. I've never seen an elephant dong. Is that bigger than a horse dog? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look that up in the break. He deserves to get shoved up that elephant's ass. That would be interesting. Because you know the asshole would just suck him right up. Mm-hmm. It sure would. And he would suffocate. Mm-hmm. That would, with his non-toed feet flailing about. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first. This that is, is redneck idea. justice. Yes. But right now, I'm going to take a little short, short little break. And we're back. Yes, that half a second. Thank you for staying with us. Okay, anyway. (laughs) So so do you have a story for us? Yeah, I've got a story for us. Well, the um, victim I'm actually going to talk about is Regina Brown Hmm. and Kai. Oh, Gina. Oh, Regina. And she's a very pretty lady, actually. And um, let's just get into it. Regina. I'm waiting on that. Fine, I'm going. Okay, I try, I trust, go. I try to. Go. Regina Brown was a 35-year-old African-American woman living in Newtown, Connecticut. And actually, she does not look like an African-American woman, does she? She really does not. She looks like a tan white woman. Not even that tan. No, she just she just looks like a white woman. Mm-hmm. Even her hands don't even look that. I mean, she looks good though. Um, she was a flight attendant for American Airlines, and was married to a pilot, fifty-two-year-old Willis Brown. Quite a little age difference. Thirty-five. Oh yeah, that's a way age difference, isn't it? Like twelve, uh, seventeen, that's 17 years? years. Damn, that's a good bit. Willis um, also owned the Moped Man. Wait, what? 
the moped man. A moped, moped rental business okay. on Block Island, Rhode Island. All right. The couple had three children, Nicholas, age four, Rena, age three, and Ashley, age two. Regina and Willis had a complicated five-year marriage. Willis, Willis accused was accused of domestic violence several times and was even arrested after strangling Regina during one of their fights. Well, he should have just been feeling lucky that he was married to her, being 50-something years That's old. That's what I'm saying. He better be lucky. Um, A judge issued a restraining order against Willis. He was not allowed near Regina, their children, or the family's home. He moved into an apartment in Queens, New York. On occasion, Regina allowed him to visit their children. During the marriage, Willis had accused Regina of abusing drugs and being unfaithful. He even claimed their children were not biologically his. Six, six paternity tests were done, all proving he was the father, so that was out. Six? Yeah. For the three children, so two for each children? Because the first one wasn't right, I guess? That's what I would assume, I guess. So, I mean, just to make sure, I guess, because he was a weirdo. A douchebag? Yeah, that's sure. On March 21st, 1987, Regina put Nicholas and Rena on a plane for Liberty, Texas. By oh. themselves? Yeah. Wait. Yeah, okay. Um, To live with... Well, I mean, you know, they probably put them on the plane then whenever they get there because she, she sent them there to go live with her parents. So the parents were probably waiting right there at the gate. You know what I'm saying. Very simple thing. And probably told the flight attendant or something, you know. All I'm saying is we would have never been able to do that with y'all because y'all would have never made it there. With me, yes. With them, hell no. No, you would have never. Drew. I would have been able to make it there. All that that you got to do is sit on the damn plane and then get off. Mm, That's that's a problem, though. You have to get off. Bro, whatever, dude. Go on somewhere. You'd be sitting there all day. Willis, Willis had threatened to kill her and their children. On March 26th, Regina drove Ashley and their live-in babysitter, Sharon Ryan, to the LaGuardia Airport in Queens, New York City. They were also going to Texas. Regina's plan was to go home, get her belongings together, and join her children in the coming days. Okay. Because I was wondering why she wasn't going, too. Yeah. On her way back home from the airport, she called her close friend, Hope Lampert. Regina told her... Um, Regina told her to be alarmed if her parents hadn't heard from her in a couple of days. If she was not at um her parents' house by then, she said, Willis will have done something to me, what he promised to do to me. In the early morning hours of March 27th, one of Regina's neighbors tried to call their house because their nine-month-old puppy, Sport, was barking nonstop. That's a cute dog named Sport. Sport, that is. No one answered, so they called the police and worried something was wrong. For an unknown reason, an officer was not sent to check on the situation. Hmm. Sounds like I like that. Officers and my Kind of like a lot of shit. That's what it sounds like. Regina was a 
reliable flight attendant. However, she did not show up for her flights on March 30th and April 3rd. American Airlines contacted her parents and they asked Regina's best friend, Linda Van Horn. <laughs> Shut up. Linda Van Horn. Linda Van Horn. Linda Van Horn. To best buy the house. Linda opened Regina's garage door and found Spore anxiously waiting for attention. Ain't anal? What? Shut up. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Despite the floor being covered in feces, they were okay because someone had left a bowl of water and a big bag of dog food. Linda noticed that the dog food had been bought from a store Regina refused to shop at after mm. an employee made a racist remark. So, of course, suspicious. Regina's belongings were all at the house, including her scarf, airline identification bag, and an uncashed check for $1,000 in her purse. Definitely suspicious. (laughs) Yes. Her makeup bag, which she always carried with her, was under the bathroom sink. Um, A week after Regina had last been seen leaving the airport, she was reported missing by Linda. A week? That was a long time. Yeah. Willis also filed a missing persons report on the same day. He's such a douchebag, though. Like, he reports it after Linda had already done it, so then he doesn't look so suspicious. Even though that does look suspicious, but... I know it does. Regina's house was searched, but no sign of a struggle or any sort of crime was found. It is believed she did not make it home after dropping off her daughter and babysitter at the airport. Naturally, Willis was considered a person of interest. He said he had been in Newtown on March 26 for a dentist appointment and admitted to buying the dog food. Other than that, he claimed he couldn't remember what he had done for the rest of the day. Bullshit. He suggested the police should... Look for Regina's car in Manhattan, New York City. Okay, that's... In an area known for drugs. Oh, he's trying to See, say he's just she's trying, a drug addict. He's just, he is just trying to make up these stories right. to make it believable that she was a drug addict and that she did all this stuff and then left. However, what's she going to buy the drugs with? Because what in her pocketbook at the house? Exactly. In her with a check in it? Why in the hell would she leave a check for $1,000? Also, why didn't she have her pocketbook whenever she carried the child and the babysitter to the airport? Hmm. Hmm. Don't know. Well, you do remember that she was going home. Yes, but they said that they didn't think she made it home. She made it, yeah. So that's a good question. Maybe she just left in a hurry. Maybe. I don't know. Um, His suggestion ended up being correct. The oh, car wow. was Imagine found that. in front of a building in Manhattan on, March, on April 6th. There were two um, child safety seats in the back. The keys were in the ignition, and there were parking tickets on the windshield. Unfortunately, the car did not provide any clues as to Regina's whereabouts. Interesting. Willis began to tell people that Regina had been spotted in random places around the world. He told one of Regina's neighbors that she was with some guy on an island in the Pacific. 
the hell ever. How in the world does she get to all these places if she doesn't have any of her stuff? Like, she doesn't have nothing. I don't know. Uh, so, I guess it's cheating now and then goes with this guy or something. Well, a few months after Regina's disappearance, Willis bought an old Cadillac and drove to Texas. Um, he forcibly took his children from Regina's brother and bought them and brought them back to Connecticut. Three weeks later, a judge ordered him to return the children to their mother's family. In September, Willis went to court as he wanted a divorce from Regina and their children's custody. The judge concluded that he um, had been abusive towards his wife, stating he had reduced her risk to a living nightmare. Her existence. Why the hell did I get her risk? risk? What made me say that? He had reduced her existence to a living nightmare. Authorities found no evidence of Regina ever using drugs or being unfaithful. Oh, imagine that. Willis was granted a divorce, though, and Regina's parents were given full custody of the children. It did not go unnoticed at the time that Regina's disappearance was very similar to the vanishing of another Newtown woman. This is Hell Crap... Hill Crafts? Helly Crafts? Something around that. H-E-L-L-E. How do you say that? Hella Crafts? Hella Crafts? Hella. That's a hella good hella time. Hella Crafts. <laughs> hella good That's time. That's a Hella Crafts. <laughs> um, I'm just going to call her Crafts from now on, you know? Oh, her first name was H-E-L-L-E? Yeah, I don't really know how to say that. Hell, hella? Hill, Helly? It's probably Hill Crafts. I don't know. We're just going to say crafts. It's probably hell crafts, though. (laughs) What is it? Also, a flight attendant had been married to a pilot, Richard Crafts, and had three kids. She vanished in November of 1986, and just a couple of months before Regina went missing. Hell's Crafts' husband was convicted of her murder, the first murder conviction without a body in Connecticut. He was accused of trying to cover up his wife's murder by dismembering her body with a chainsaw and putting the pieces into a wood chipper, which does sound pretty logical. Also, it was a great episode of Forensic Files. Yeah. Regina had been following the Hellcraft's case, even keeping newspaper clippings in her kitchen drawer. A few months into the investigation of Regina's disappearance, Willis stopped cooperating and refused to take a polygraph test that he had previously agreed to. His reasoning, it didn't do Richard Crafts any good. Well, no, because he killed his wife and chopped her up. Well, Richard had passed a lie detector test despite being found guilty. Which doesn't matter. No. And Willis... Oh, Willis' statement is bullshit. Oh, Willie. God. In 1988, Willis' stepmother, Margaret Brown, died by suicide in Albany, New York. About a year later, her son was going through her belongings when he found a hand-drawn map titled Block Island. Written on it was Regina O'God. Huh? Regina O'God. 
Authorities theorized it indicated where Regina was buried. So you're telling me that he wrote a freaking map? On, on the map of Block Island. How stupid is that? Yeah, so went through a shit, you know, found the map. Plus it kind of seems like to me if I bury somebody or something, I'm going to remember where I did it. Mm-hmm. Because you don't bury a lot of people. Probably trying to be like intellectual or some kind of shit. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, a search with cadaver dogs was conducted on Block Island, but nothing was found. Around the time Regina went missing, Willis owned a private airplane. <laughs> Isn't that convenient, though? Owning a private airplane. He kept it in a small airport in Connecticut and often flew it to Block Island. This is going through a lot of states. Authorities were not able to find the aircraft until 2008 and are not sure if it was used when Regina vanished before 9-11. It was not mandatory to keep consistent records. So, like, okay, so, like, so, just, just a heads up. That's a good heads up. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is, if you're planning on killing somebody, make sure first off that you're not mean to the person and you're pretty close damn friends with them. Or if it is your wife, make sure that you're hella nice. And don't be beating on them. Secondly. Don't threaten that if you're, you're going them. No. If you're going to do anything, you you I'm at, on a private airplane. And there's always the option, just don't kill them. There is that option, but if you are going to, my, my, um, my, whatever the fuck you call it, opinion, is to own a private airplane, kidnap them, put them on the private airplane, and throw them out. I know, wouldn't that be something to be out in your yard, <laughs> sunbathing in the yard, and all of a sudden this <laughs> body just... What was that? Uh, it's okay. And they wouldn't know, they, I mean, how, how are you going to get caught? You you can still get caught. You I'm could sure. get caught because the fact of you do have a private airplane, but correct. And now everything has to be really recorded. There's no it. evidence, so okay. All mm-hmm. right. Well, anyways, the television station in Massachusetts aired a documentary about Regina's Regina's disappearance in 1990. Willis sued them for defamation and invasion of privacy. You can always throw them in a volcano. I'm pretty sure that would get rid of all the evidence. That will get rid of all the evidence, but then you also have to worry about who sees you going up, you know, going there. You know, people's going to be saying that you're missing and stuff, you and her, or well, you and coach, him, or something. I don't know. Go check the volcano then and see if you can find her. No, you ain't going to go in there and check. Exactly. They ain't got a body. But that means you got to have a And you can't go in there. You can't go inside a volcano? Mm-hmm. You sure can't. Um, you know, will suit them and um for you know whatever whatever and intentional infli- infliction of emotional distress because they had implied he was responsible for killing he was responsible for killing her. I mean, people ain't fucking stupid. The claims were later dismissed. He is now in his eighties and had has houses in Block Island in Texas. 
Regina Brown has been missing for 32 years. None of her friends or family believe she would have left her kids voluntarily. She was declared legally dead in 1995. If nothing else, she would have at least cashed her check. Of course she cashed that <laughs> damn check. She ain't going to leave $1,000 just sitting there. She wouldn't just pick up and leave. No. That is about the no. stupidest person. I Stupidest man. It gives us a bad rap for all men. That's what I'm saying. Well. Because sometimes you're just stupid. But guess what? He didn't get charged for anything. Nope, Joe did. No, he didn't. He, didn't he just get, living his life going to the dentist and stuff and mm-hmm. flying his little airplane. Mm-hmm. He didn't get charged for shit. And he definitely, there was no evidence. I mean, it looked like she just completely vanished in thin air. Vanished. Just so they never found her body or gone, gone, nothing at all. But it does raise insane concerns because she did plea out about Willis and stuff and abuse. Oh, he killed her. Oh, if you didn't didn't hear, Willis did it. He killed her. I think that that could have been solved. I mean, and then he made up all this stuff about, oh, she's going into this it neighborhood just where there's drugs, left the, left the car with the car seats. Where would she have gone from there? I don't know. But to another country with another man. But I don't. it seems to me like the police didn't investigate that too much. I don't think they did very much anything. It didn't really tell anything. Okay. Really, it didn't tell much about what they actually did, if they did anything, which I don't know if they did or not. So, did or didn't, I don't know. So, the end. The end. That's all we got to say about that. Remember, I'm so sad that Tom Hanks has coronavirus. I hope that he doesn't kick the bucket. But that's all we got to say about that. Yeah. In memory of him, he's still alive. Good Lord. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm going to put the link on again that you can just click and then rate us. You can rate us on Podchaser, mm-hmm. Spotify, mm-hmm. or Apple. Yeah. Just click that link. Give us a rating. Just a click. And a little review. Just, hey, what's up? Or and just remember, you. check out our Instagram so that you can see the picture of the curtain with the duct tape on it, holding it up to the whatever. And Facebook, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook. And you can go to our website, boomdotspod.com. I've actually never been on that. I know you haven't. I've never even looked at it. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and, of course, you can always go to Patreon and support us. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I sure did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we will see you next time as always i've been stan and i'm always drew talk to you later we won't see him later i don't give a shit i will see you later except for if you want us to do another live a facebook live let us know yeah we'll do it all right see ya won't talk to you oh my god
I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we are Killer Fun. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. For as long as people have been communicating, they have been talking about who did what to whom, and is that socially acceptable? Because the boundaries of society, crime, and entertainment have always gone hand in hand. The more salacious, weird, the better. From books and movies, to television shows and games, we look at how life and art imitate and inform one another. And we can't get together and not laugh. So let's face it there's going to be laughing. (laughs) Killer fun is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So join us.